one time a game. A large group of fans who were members of Underground Theater, a nationwide LARP organization, became incredibly angry at some decisions that White Wolf Studios had made. I was the director of communications for Underground Theater at the time, and it was my job to have to wade into the thick of it. White Wolf had hired a very controversial individual named Zach Sabbath to work on one of their products. Zach S., as he's known, was part of Gamergate, and his freelance work for White Wolf was very, very poorly received by a lot of fans. Underground Theater's Facebook pages were flooded with protesting that quickly turned into demands that our organization simply tell White Wolf that if they didn't immediately fire and renounce Zach S., that Underground Theater would close up and stop existing so that we would no longer ever have to support any of their products. As the Director of Communications, my job was to ask everyone on these Facebook threads to please just pause. Zach S.'s involvement had only been announced just a few hours prior, and the Board of Directors needed time to meet, get the facts, and actually come to a mature decision about what to do. The response that I received from these players was to be attacked or unfriended. They called me unethical, unreasonable, I was told I was a sexual harassment apologist, and all sorts of other crazy things, simply because I asked people to relax for a little bit so that the board could have a chance to figure things out. In fact, the leader of this group, who attacked me, actually swore that he would never ever play another White Wolf game again. He quit Underground Theater and refused to ever support the company, ever. That lasted about six months, and now he's back at our LARP. Okay, now roll for initiative. Welcome to On a Roll, the podcast that helps you level up your role-playing game. Tabletop, LARP, mush, and everything in between. We're not better gamers than you. We just all have different experiences to share. And maybe we can help you have more fun at your game. Because the only way to win at a role-playing game is to, to have fun. fun. Jason, oh, to have fun. I forgot to do totally it. Sorry. did not participate. Whoa. Well, I forgot to have fun. It happens. Well, I'm Ryan. I'm the curmudgeon. Joining me is the legend, Carrie. Hi. And of course, Jason. The favorite. Also the one holding a moon rock. Interesting. Yes. He is. Kevin, this moon rock may be at your game soon. That's true. We can be found at onarollpodcast.com, iTunes, Stitchers, etc., anywhere else that your favorite podcasts are at. You can also follow us on Twitter at onarollpodcast and find us on Facebook. At facebook.com slash groups slash onarollpodcast. And our email is hosts with an S at onarollpodcast.com. That's great. Yeah. So. Oh, 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 oh we also yes. have a Patreon. We do. Patreon.com slash on a roll podcast. That's awesome. Why don't okay. you tell us, uh, do we have anybody who deserves mentioning this week? Well, we don't have anyone new that. Uh, Nobody from Idaho yet. Yeah. No from Idaho yet. It's very, very sad. Right. But yeah, we, we have our awesome wizard level patrons. Um, if somebody uh, decides to back us at the wizard level they get a shout out here every every, every show episode. every show that's amazing Who yeah. should we, let's shout out to cameron pruitt shall oh, we he's ah! first. <laughs> what, what was that that was a shout out i was out. shouting yeah okay okay i won't do that again sorry <laughs> what about lost colonies larp ah. <laughs> i like it you need to shout out every time okay. and who else do we got carrie ryan martin yeah and Drew Stevens. Drew Stevens shouting. 
Listen, if you're listening, listen, if you're listening. <laughs> if you're listening, you've heard this. Otherwise, you have not. If you want a shout out, we'd love to give you one. But you have to go to patreon.com slash podcast and help us keep the show on the air by becoming a patron. Whoa, whoa. So there you go. When last we left our intrepid adventurers, we were sitting at this table recording a podcast. We do that a lot. I know. It feels like every week. Carrie, what happened to you over the last six and a half days? Oh, um, I have uh, been doing just coloring book. That's oh. true. A lot of yeah. coloring books. No, um, I, I, we're we're doing the the stuff I don't like for the for the coloring book now. The math. Yeah, the math, and I'm not very good at the math. So, so um, we're doing that. My our daughter is turning nine. That's crazy. In awesome. like a week, so we're prepping for that for that party. School's about and, to start. School. And always remember, you can figure out how long we've known each other by taking Dakota's age and mm-hmm. adding three months. That is very true. <laughs> One of the first things Jason ever said to me was, "You should stop grabbing your belly like that, or people are going to think you're pregnant." And I was like, "I am." <laughs> And he was like, oh, I thought oh. you was just fat. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when Carrie was like, I need this guy in my life forever. Uh, ever and ever, yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, what am I? Oh. Well, like, and then there's one more thing because I think this is super, super cool. What is it? We got the uh, the sneak peek of the drawing from Chris Goins. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to let everyone know that uh, if you're listening, you should... Uh, Come become a patron so of ours so pictures. you can see the pictures right? before everyone else. So these are the the sketches of us that we're we're hoping will eventually become part of our our show, like logoing and stuff. Yeah, correct. That awesome branding. No, That's right. we're doing it. Yeah. Woo. What, so, about, what about you, Jason? What you girl? Well, what you been up to? <laughs> So I don't remember if I talked about this. Like, well, I know that last week I talked about the fact that my dad had been in the hospital. He came home, and uh, that meant that I was able to come and help run the vampire game with everybody. Yay! And that went actually pretty well. You said everybody at Afters was talking about it and had yeah. a great time. Yeah, we are we are down to two games two now. Games. And we've got our wrap-up game already sort of planned. It's, and it's interesting because uh, during our storyteller meeting, like yesterday morning, uh, or maybe it was Friday night, but just in the last like 24 hours, the, the end, the idea for the ending of this five year long game sort of just appeared. It, yeah. If, well, I, I like to say gelled, like all the components were out there. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it kind of set I'm like, Oh yes, that's the obvious ending. Obvious. And everything that we've talked about doing that wraps all of that into it. And I have to say like, this is going to be a little egotistical, but I'm pretty excited about this. Ending. Mm-hmm. I, I think, think it should be good. I think it's pretty great. Yeah. And we'll talk about it after we run it. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll do more. But I, but I will say, I am super excited. We went out today, and we got props for the last Always. Game. And this is my number one thing, is if you have a cool idea for a scenario or something in your LARP, always have a prop. Mm-hmm. If you can at all possible have a prop. If, and in if, tabletop, it's great, too. Yeah. If a player can walk away from the game with something physical in their hand. Absolutely. You so. should start mailing stuff to people at your mush. No. <laughs> I love my mushers, but no. You know, that's because of this, uh, the kind of idea of having physical components to your LARP. That's the reason why one day I want to run a game that's just players mailing letters to each other. 
Because then you have the physical <laughs> prop. You of know the that's whole how thing. they that's how they used to play diplomacy. Yes, that's the sort of thing I want to do. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I would love to run something like that. And uh, stealing the diplomacy rules is a great idea, right? Thanks. The only problem is, is that I don't understand the deep strategy of diplomacy enough to really be able to use it effectively. It's pretty highbrow. It, it's like I started playing diplomacy a couple of years ago, and I finally had to quit because I'm like, I don't have the time to invest to learn right. the really subtle strategies. Right. Like I can do the negotiations and all that stuff. That's a lot of fun, but like. I didn't know certain countries had these advantages because of the way the map is drawn. Right. Okay. Anyway, Any, what have you been doing? Oh, my. I've been uh, working on Carrie's Kickstarter, helping right. her with, with getting the coloring book. The all, math and the words. All in order. Uh, I have also been on the side working a little bit more on the gun belt. Yeah. Um, working out how to how to do stats for stock NPCs. I think you're almost there. The stock NPCs, I think, are done. I think that's locked in. Now we're, it's uh, critters. How right. do we how do we stat dinosaurs? How do it, it's just mostly funny because like, we'll be in the middle of dinner, and he'll suddenly go, so a T-Rex. If, and I'm just like, <laughs> I just want to eat my tuna casserole. Come on. You know, what I... We were talking about this some last night, and I think... You're right. You don't want a bunch of different systems. Right. Everything should sort of work the same way in an intuitive fashion. Yeah. The problem is, how do you stat a dinosaur the same way you stat a human? It's right. tough. So, yeah, it's just kind of trying to break break those mechanics a little bit so that they're the same but still, you they know, work functional. across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But we're close. Yeah. We're absolutely. Close. So, but that's that's really it. That and work. That so, and work. Ooh. Yeah. Work. Have some transitions going on at work. Some, some folks. Good stuff. Uh, some folks are are leaving and uh, moving on to to better things for them, and right. and you're just gonna sit there. So there's yeah, and I'm just gonna sit there and rot. <laughs> so, but Yikes. yeah, but you you know what I, I I tease you, but you do seem to really like your job. Yeah, for the most part, I do. Well, you know, if anybody likes their job a whole bunch, then you know they're full of shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that does it for us uh, tonight. We have sort of a, a little bit of a touchy topic. It's a very special episode. Oh, a very special my. episode. That's right. Tonight, we... <laughs> no! Carrie has too much to drink. <laughs> no, 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 no. And considers driving home. Oh, it's a very special... Will Jason be able to confront her, or will their friendship break? <laughs> It's too late. I've already been drinking, too. (laughs) (laughs) The best part about that imaginary scenario was the idea that Jason was somehow the designated driver. (laughs) Yeah, everyone's like, I just can't believe this. I'm responsible. You know what the (laughs) trick to being the DD is, is to immediately start drinking as soon as you arrive, and then be like, oh, no, I can't be the DD. And then somebody else fast. Lauren, if you ever listen to this episode, that's what I've always done to you. (laughs) Oh, no. <laughs> Poor Marty. Yeah. Oh. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break for a moment of music, and then we will be back for combat rounds. Ooh. Okay. Welcome to combat rounds. Today's topic is toxic fandoms. Ooh, 
Now, so this one is a little bit, uh, it, first of all, it's a little bit hard because no matter what any of us say about this topic, everyone will, is going to disagree with parts of it. You know what? I think that's actually a good thing because one of the ways that we deal with these uh, problems is by discussing them. And if we don't talk about the fact that fandoms being toxic as a whole are a problem and how we can improve them, then they will never get better. Well, okay. Before we say anything else, I would like to point out that any fans of On a Roll, you guys are not toxic. Obviously not. Kevin is a little bit. Well, yeah, but (laughs) that's different. you said fans of On a Roll. Oh, my bad. Yeah, I don't know. My bad. Yeah. So, but I I do We love you, Kevin. (laughs) I do think it, it is important to note. Now, some of you may be wondering, okay, this is great. But how does this have anything to do, you know, this is a role-playing game podcast. Sure. Why are we talking about toxic fandoms? Well, we're talking about toxic fandoms because it's come up in the role-playing game industry a lot lately. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so we're going to get to that uh, in a minute. But uh, for, for those of you who just need to know right out the gate, it's happening a lot with uh, White Wolf's Vampire 5th Edition. It's mm-hmm. happening a lot it, it happened a lot just recently with Critical Role. Right. Uh, That's yeah. crazy, too. Right. It's it's happening. You know, it may not be directly applicable to the specific tabletop game, but Star Wars is a role-playing game, and it's sure. happening in Star Wars. And so... Every edition of D&D, period. <laughs> I mean, honestly... Except maybe the very... what The old white box, which... Right. Yeah. I'm not quite old enough to have played with, but... And, and like, every mush that's based on any... Any movie or TV show has to deal with it. Has to deal with that. Yeah. Well, let's start talking about history because you did a lot of research about that. This I week. did. I I thought you know for us to understand fandoms would maybe help. You know, so let's first talk about fandoms in general. Believe it or not, there are scholars who study this stuff. Well, if there's people that study LARP, surely there's people who study. <laughs> I just I, I want to know like, do they go by like I am. Professor of fandom, or like I'm sure they call it transmedia studies. Oh no! (laughs) Okay, go on. I'm getting the sensation, Jason, that maybe you're starting to come on board with this whole transmedia is like the worst buzzword in our industry right now. You have legitimate arguments against the word transmedia. Yeah, but I love the idea of having products that are used, you know, like as a role-playing game and a movie and a LARP and all over the place. I like I like things being all over the place. I think that's cool. Uh, you know, I read Marvel comics. I go to Marvel movies. I would play in a Marvel role playing game if there was one somebody was running that was uh, close to me. Fazrip. Oh, yeah, you should be running it. <laughs> and uh, so I love that stuff. I, I really love the idea of I can't remember the show now, but there was that show a couple of years ago where it was an MMO and a show. And the actions of the players and the it factions was affected on the, the sci-fi television. channel, right? Yes, it affected yeah. the the show. I love that stuff, though. I I do agree that just saying the word transmedia a whole lot me it means nothing, right? And really, if you are effectively marketing whatever the entertainment product is that you're selling, right? It's transmedia, right? It's uh, it's either <laughs> auto like it's automatically that which I like, right? So you just don't need to say the word over and over again. Yeah, instead it's just because of meaningless buzzwords. So, so we need to make that role playing game transmedia the awakening. I don't know. I, don't I just tag the uh, awakening. Transmedia. Anything. You do now. Yeah, I've noticed <laughs> that you do that a lot. Okay, so scholars actually credit Sherlock Holmes as being the birthplace ah. of mo- of the modern fandom. 
So, so people who don't know who Sherlock Holmes are should go read those books right now. <laughs> just stop. Just That's right. Pause. Pause right now. Go read a bunch Sherlock of Sherlock Holmes of them. was this fantastic character created by Robert Downey Jr. No! <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote all these amazing books back in the, the olden times. The and, late 1800s. And they are uh, equal parts brilliant and uh, hokey. Hokey. I was going to say a product of their times, which is a code word for racist. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is that. They have right? several moments yeah. of that, though. Uh, honestly, not as bad as a lot of other stuff that was out at the time. Right. I wouldn't say he's enlightened. I would say he was less unenlightened, perhaps, <laughs> than other people. So, so because Sherlock Holmes was the first, we're going to talk about it a lot more than we talk about the others. So, in 1887, that is when the very first Sherlock Holmes short story appeared. Uh, Sherlock Holmes would go on to be several novels and something like 50 short stories that were published in a newspaper or magazine product called The Strand. Yeah. Um, So Sherlock Holmes was introduced in 1887, and by the time 1890 rolled around, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who was the author, had gotten tired of writing it. Now, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was actually a, a doctor. He was a a medical doctor, and his main aspiration was to eventually write medical books. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, I read some about him, but I didn't know that So, so, And I don't know exactly if, I don't know if it was medical, like, fiction, or if it was just medical nonfiction. could have been Robin Cook. Right, but he had this higher aspiration to do something meaningful, and instead got trapped writing this... The first pulp action hero. The first pulp action hero. Right. Well, I don't know if he's the first, but definitely the most famous. And so, sometime around 18, like, 91, he actually told his mom, I'm considering killing off Sherlock Holmes so that I can actually do this thing with meaning. And his mom, get out. And his mom, his mom responded and was like, well, you can do whatever you want, but just know... The people are not going to be happy with you. <laughs> Mom is the best PR. Always listen to Mama. So a couple of years later, in 1893, he wrote a short story called The Final Problem. Right. And even that title was indicative of how he felt about all of yeah. it. This is a problem, and I've come up with a solution That's to right. it. And if you read The Final Problem, the opening, like the opening of the book... He writes basically the the opening line is something like these these are the last w- words I'll ever say about about Sherlock Holmes and <laughs> you have to understand that the books Sherlock Holmes stories are actually written by the character of Doctor Watson which is pretty effectively Conan Doyle because right, every yeah. everything right. that he had done before this you know, study medicine and uh, uh, people that he met, they're all wrapped up in these stories. He was Dr. Watson, kind yeah. of, yeah. And so basically these were like stories written in the first person by Dr. Watson about his friend, the brilliant right. Sherlock Holmes. All right, everybody thinks that like all of the modern the modern fandom and the, the Star Wars backlashes and, and the white, stuff White Wolf's going through and stuff. Everybody That's thinks, not new? No. <laughs> everybody thinks it is. We think, well, this is the Internet's fault. but It's it 150 years old? It's 150 years old. He kills Sherlock Holmes. And within, within days of that issue of The Strand being published, 20,000 people canceled their subscription. Wow. That's oh my amazing. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Women wore morning clothing and men actually adopted black armbands. That's amazing. And this happened wow. all over Europe. Uh, 
it was a huge deal. Basically, this was like the first fandom reaction. Besides going, hey, I like this. Right. And they said, no, this is not okay. By the time 1901 rolled around, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was so sick of being pestered by fans that he felt he had no choice but to publish a new Sherlock Holmes story. But that story was set in the past, right? It was The Hound of the Baskervilles, and he left it ambiguous so that it was probably set before Sherlock Holmes died. Weren't, didn't a bunch of his, uh, of the fandom, isn't that where, like, the first, uh, fanfic? And we're getting there. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't mean to jump. I was all excited. That's right. I knew something. That's right. So 1901 was the Hound of the Baskervilles, and then for the next two years, he was harassed by fans until in 1903, he, he actually did an official resurrection in a story called The Adventure of the Empty House. Another title that many believe is maybe sort of uh, representative of how he felt inside. This is just a hollow travesty. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and in that book, he states that Sherlock Holmes had faked his death. Right. Right? Fandom got their way. Right. Fans started writing fan fiction, as Carrie had suggested, as early as 1897. Okay? And they called them pastiches. Sherlock Holmes is killed in 1893. By 1897, fans are now writing their own Sherlock Holmes stories to the point where by 1901, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was like, fine! I'll write some. I'll do it. Stop with the slash. <laughs> so you know there was. There, there was. Uh, there was. we're getting to that. <laughs> I knew it. That's why this is such a perfect, a perfect history lesson. All right. By 1911... Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was still writing Sherlock Holmes stories, but at that time, a a, a paper, like a, a thesis paper, because back then people read those things. Sure. Yeah. Uh, a paper was written called Studies in the Literature of Sherlock Holmes. And in this paper, it's ident- it identifies the idea of what this paper calls the great game. Now, if you're a Sherlock Holmes fan, you've probably heard this phrase before or even know what it is. So the idea of the great game is you as a fan imagining that Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were actually real people and that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is either really Watson and is just writing to change his name Mm -hmm. in disguise or that Doyle is just like Watson's literary agent. And it's being published under his name. So they pretend that it's all real. Right. And by pretending that he's real, this creates an invitation to fans to start writing them into historical events. Sure. Which is a fan fiction trope that we see today all the time. Right. And so they started in their pastiches. They started writing a Sherlock Holmes adventure where they happen to be, you know, there when the Declaration of Independence is signed or whatever. And they start inserting them into real things. Uh, and it also then formed the word, uh, the use of canon, as oh. we use it non-biblically right. today. Right. For a lot of folks out there, you probably know, you've heard of biblical canon. It's it's the, the idea of, of canon from a religious standpoint is canon refers to the actual authoritative scriptures of whatever religion you We believe these to. books are real, yes. and those books over there are not real. Right. They were just written by people. These were divinely inspired. Exactly. And... And so this is when the idea of canon applying to a fandom began. So Arthur Conan Doyle stories were canon, 
and the pastiches were just fan, fan fiction. fiction. Right. All right. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because later on works, you know, like uh, the Cthulhu mythos, a lot of the parts of that become canon. They were not written by the original authors. Right. Right. Okay. So. So, so then actual fan clubs start forming. Sure. Right. You had mentioned the Baker Street Boys. By the time by the 1930s, there were the Baker Street Irregulars, which right. were like super popular. Um, by the time 1941 rolls around, this this famous guy named Rex Stout, he presents this. He deserves to be famous <laughs> <laughs> for being named Rex Stout. Yeah, yes. my very next character, Rex Stout. I don't care what it is. <laughs> That's your new mush character. Ah, that'll yeah. be my new ah, mush there we go. character. So Rex Stout posits this idea. That he has studied all of the the Sir Conan Doyle texts, mm-hmm. and he believes that Doctor Watson was actually a woman. Fascinating, and mm-hmm. he believes he points to all of these. He, he has you know a long list of of reasons why he believes this, and they all fit. His theory was that Sir Conan Doyle changed the swapped the sex because uh, no one would believe that a woman doctor would work with someone like Sherlock Holmes and, and that's yeah, exactly like a current head canon fan theory and this is where the beginning of gender swapping yeah starts <laughs> right all right and this immediately spawns shipping of Holmes <laughs> of and Watson uh, yeah 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 <laughs> you know what really what it was is at that time they couldn't make them gay Right. I mean, so they had to be a different... Oh, yeah. So obviously Rex, a woman because I can't make them gay. Yeah. So Rex, I want them to be together, so... Yeah. So Re- Sexy Rexy decides I'm just going to yeah. make this story up. Yeah. All of this happens, and by the time we end up in the late 1940s, they're publishing nonfiction encyclopedias so that people can track all of their fan fiction canons and non-canons That's amazing. and everything. Wow. And these are all things that we see today. Right. Right? Yeah. But they were happening like... A hundred years ago already. Right. It's fascinating. So, uh, so that's kind of the the story of the original the original fandom and how they were they were toxic even then. You know, they were the the amount of bullying uh, bullying that right. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle endured was actually really documented as pretty pretty awful. Yeah, I'll say as an artist, as someone that's in uh, fandom. A creative field. It, well, no, I'm saying like... Oh, I as get, a person in I fandom. I get okay. going, but I like Ninja Turtles and this right. and that, and I think this is better Because Carrie is always wearing a Ninja Turtle shirt. Uh, yeah, Right? At all times. Yeah, I am right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> as an artist, like, I just want to be like, flip you the bird. Yeah, this is my this stuff. is mine. Right, Go right. make your own thing then. Fandom sense of ownership is something we'll talk about. Ooh. You know, and it's a tricky subject because like without the fandom there's no product. Right. But without the artist there's no product. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's sticky. It is sticky. Mm. I think it's all about, you know, Speaking levels. Of- Just like we talk about with toxic players and toxic games. Yeah. As we come into the modern times, right? We'll we'll segue a little bit here with Benedict Cumberbund yeah. and, and his show Sherlock, right? right? And Iron Man's Sherlock Holmes movies. Sure. Isn't Which, it funny? Sherlock now has twice been a member of the Avengers. What what I love about <laughs> the fact that, that two different very talented actors have played them is because the community can be so toxic, both movies or both versions have been completely shit on by people. Right. Just because they in any way updated it or uh 
didn't do it in exactly the same way yeah. I believe and that it should happen. How interesting is it to take a moment and consider Robert, I think it was Robert Zemeckis that made Young Sherlock Holmes back right. in the 80s. Which was so good. Oh, it, <laughs> is. it is. It is. Right? So you've got Young Sherlock Holmes, you've got uh, the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr., right. Sherlock on BBC, Elementary, right. On, yeah. right? And these are all actually just fan fiction. You know, yes, absolutely. How absolutely, weird is that, yeah. right? And some of them are very good. Some of them are very good. And by the way, Elementary does the gender swap. Mm-hmm. And Elementary, Watson's the female. Right. When Sherlock and Elementary came out on television, the original Doyle books saw a 180% increase in sales. Wow. Well, you know what? There was a bunch of uh, bookstores who run specials on them, too, and like new editions and all sorts of things. Right. That I actually bought one myself when I started watching Sherlock. I'd read some of the stories over the years, but I'd never had a complete set. Yeah, so is this are are these products open game license? Yeah. Are they the storyteller vault? They could be. I don't know. Right? It's or is it is it more like Pathfinder, where it's a new thing made from an old? It's all about which one you pick, isn't it? Yeah. And then at what point does do these become canon? Right. Yeah. Unto themselves. Yeah. It's Absolutely. fascinating. So like, so this is why I think Sherlock Holmes is such a good study in this is because it really encompasses so Everything much. Everything that's happened is happening now. Right. Let's talk a little bit about modern times. So we come up to the 60s. Star Trek right. is, is a huge fan community. Right. And that Flash. show. <laughs> so Star Trek. First of all, Star Trek gets one more season ordered because right. of fan letters. Because right. they're canceled. Which is a positive effect of these fan communities. That's right. And Carrie, what did you want to tell us about Star Flash. Trek? <laughs> That's right. So Star Trek is when shipping or whatever. Slash fic. Became it became known as slash fiction. Well, slash is specifically it's typically well, porn, not right? Just but that. but slash is the, literally it is the slash that is between two characters' right. names. Yeah, right. who who's in a sexual relationship in this story? Kirk but it's usually slash slash Spock. Spock. It's right. usually two guys. That's what makes it special. It was typically to begin two with. Guys. Yeah. Well, because in Star Trek there was only one female character. That's right. Really, I and mean, she was two, way too cool for any of those that's guys. Right. She, she wasn't was. dating nobody on that. She need <laughs> them. And also, the the central tension was between three characters, so of course they're going to stick yeah. them together. Right? They were yeah. uh, they were clearly a love triangle. Oh yeah, clearly. absolutely, right. absolutely. Uh, so we and then uh, we come a little bit further in time again to the late seventies, and guess what? Star Trek once again resurrected by fan demand. Right. Right. Yeah. They had toyed. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but Star Trek the Motion Picture was originally going to be a new relaunch television series. And it was bumped and turned into a motion picture. Which is amazing. And a lot of that came from fan push. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which, again, this is a positive thing because the creators were interested in doing more. Right. Firefly. Yeah. Right? So Firefly gets canceled, and then the Browncoats become this huge fandom movement. And and we get to a point where the fandom of Firefly convinces, I don't know if it's Fox. No, or, it was not Fox. It was explicitly not Fox because Fox wouldn't give them their old sets back. That's right. That's yeah. right. It was... It, I don't remember. We're so, going to sound like terrible fans. But you, was it Universal, maybe? I want to say Whoever. That, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. So they end up, the, the Browncoats end up push, pushing hard enough that we got Serenity, the film. Right. The follow-up film. Yeah, which was but, a decent resolution but, of the story arc. But and hold in, on. Those same Browncoats, though, turned... And were enraged because 
certain characters died in that movie. Yeah. And like, we're like, even though it was an amazing story. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. That's not how they imagined it should go. And then Serenity gets buried because of this fan. So we don't get the other movies then. Right. And now mind you, a similar thing happened, was going on with Star Trek fandom. Uh, a little bit before that, you know, a lot of folks don't remember this, but some of us do. There was a time when people got mad if you didn't know the difference between a Trekkie and a Trekker. <laughs> and it yeah. was because one of those fandoms was incredibly toxic and, and douchebaggy. Yeah. And the other were just people who loved Star Trek. Right. So, you know, uh, these things, they push and pull. Yeah. Uh, do you remember Jericho in the 90s? Yeah. I watched some of it on, like, Netflix years later. For whatever reason, we missed that one. Jericho, I loved Jericho. I used to watch Jericho. Uh, my buddy Todd uh, would watch Jericho. We would watch it at the same time. And, like, as soon as it was over, we you were dialing each other on the phone. It's like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, did you see that? We were like... Uh, <laughs> we were like it was like it was like NBC's The Bachelor night you know we're like everybody's like I can't believe that this happened <laughs> it was pretty ridiculous but it, it eventually got cancelled too right and it got cancelled and the fandom of Jericho then began sending <laughs> peanuts well you have to explain why so in the very last episode of the of that season right the town gets you know surrounded by folks and uh, they're asked, you know, they're, they're demanded that it's time that you surrender. And Skeet Ulrich's character has a one oh. He has a one you know, He was he used to be the poor man's Johnny Depp. And now he's kind of like the, 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 the like the middle man. He's kind of like just average. He's on Riverdale now. But I know uh, his response is nuts. And this is a reference to General McAuliffe, uh, the U.S. Army general back in World War II, when he was surrounded by the Germans and they demanded surrender. His response to them was nuts. What happened was, because they referenced this, some some peanut company in uh, in Illinois somewhere or something started getting all these orders for peanuts to be delivered to CBS, and he was like, <laughs> "Well, this is weird." But right? I mean, I'm... and it turned into it. He he was smart enough to like sort of grab onto that. He's like, "I've never seen this show before, but these people want my peanuts, so yeah, I'm gonna right? give them to so, them." So he created like nuts.com or something, <laughs> and like or send nuts CBS nuts.com. I don't know. Anyway. Right. But he very much capitalized this, and, and they sent like $100,000 worth of nuts. It was 20 tons of I, nuts. I want to say that peanuts are not nuts. They're legumes. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> oh, my God. So 20 tons of peanuts get sent to, to CBS. That's a lot of nuts. Does, get, it, does it work? And it works. CBS gives it a half-season renewal so the story could be wrapped up. Okay. So, yeah, it works. So sometimes it works, but sometimes it's like, that's it. That's a little toxic to send them, like, letters. I'm like, yeah, that sounds amazing. To send them bags of nuts, that's a little weird. Right. I think they ended up donating. They did. They donated them to a lot of homeless shelters. Yeah. So, like, you know, like, a good thing came out of it. You still, you know what? You're still eating them at Five Guys. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Those those are are Jericho nuts. nuts. A lot of people don't know this, but Five (laughs) Guys orders their nuts from CBS. Yeah. So, So, uh, you know what? Let's talk about Ghostbusters a little bit. You know, of course, the old movie, super revered. Everybody loved it. Uh, But the new movie, while, you know, I super enjoyed it, there was a lot of people who were weird about Leslie Jones in particular. And she's hilarious. Right? She was wonderful. I'm not a big fan of it. 
of the movie as Carrie is, yeah. but Leslie Jones was hilarious every moment she was on the screen. I think all four of those ladies were hysterical. The well, issue here isn't here. whether we like the movie or not. Right. The issue was people calling it. Leslie Jones a monkey. That's right. not okay. No, it exactly. was terrible. To the point where she, for a while, deleted her Twitter account. And Which like, is crazy because she's like this super tough, smart woman. Well, and, and she's having to delete her Twitter. And like she is like a in the Twitterverse. She and does like all hilarious. this reporting through now Twitter. Let's, let's and, take a moment to talk about, about Leslie Jones' fandom, though. But you get the Ghostbusters thing where the fans of Ghostbusters drive her off Twitter and they call her all these horrible, awful yeah, it things. It was not right. Right? And are just terrible. And then a few years later, she starts tweeting about how much she likes the Olympics. And there is a huge fandom surge around her because they love how passionate she is about the Olympics. And this moves so strong to a point where right in the middle of the Olympics, NBC drops everything and buys her a plane ticket to Europe and is like, you need to go there now and you are now going to be reporting for us. That's awesome. And she did it over her Twitter. Like, it was ridiculous. (laughs) And then she ended up, when the Olympics happened four years later then, she, they just brought her. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds awesome. Yeah. So, so Leslie Jones has kind of been on, on both ends of, of fandom. So I guess, you know, something we talk, you know, we're crapping on fandoms a little bit here, but they're not what's wrong. The problem is when they go toxic. Right. 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 Yeah. Critical role, getting into, now we're going to Which start, has a huge fandom. Right. And we're going to start to get into to the RPG side of things now. Critical role is a live play RPG. It's a stream. It's, I think it's, I think they also podcast it. I, I know is it a stream switch. too? Because I know it's a podcast. Yes. I'm, I don't follow it personally. And uh, it's uh, they they run Dungeons and Dragons, and Mike Mercer is the the dungeon master. And and I've heard he's exceptional. And a couple weeks ago, they killed a character off. And I know the like the big thing I know about Critical Role right now is there's people out there who don't listen to it anymore because he feels like because they feel like that that character shouldn't have died. And there were there were threats made to Mike Mercer, like the oh, fandom. There was another. There's another component to that, because I read an article about it. Apparently, the person who regularly played that character couldn't be there, so they... Uh, they had to fill in. They fill in the seat, mm. because it's a, it's like a regular TV show or something. Right. You can't yeah. just not it's, have it's an episode. Like, it's kind of like if any of you watch, you know, Days of Our Lives or, right. or something like that. It's like a soap opera. It's like a soap like, opera. You every can't once just... in a while on a soap opera, right, you'll see a... Today, the part of Carrie Varner will be played by... Jason Hughes. That's right. Right? And you just go, okay. I have the wig. (laughs) (laughs) For unrelated reasons. But, yeah, and so because that other person was playing the character, they felt like that they didn't play them effectively. And they, yeah. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe it had, if it had been the actual player that the character would still be alive, you know? Which we don't know, because the actual player couldn't be there. Which leads us uh, to a miniature conversation of just, this is why a lot of games don't allow proxying. Yep. <laughs> that's a whole yep. other But that's thing. a whole other Yeah, show. so everyone who's ever complained to me as a storyteller, and when I was a storyteller for RVR, not allowing proxy, that's why. Right, because it, no matter what happens, you're not going to be happy. Nope. Right. Yeah. But, so... Like, they're slowly pulling out of that, They're right? starting to pull out of it. Yeah, it's Critical Role. They'll be fine. You know what I mean? But it's, have... it's weird. But that... hey, Critical Role, if you need anything, let us know. That's absolutely right. <laughs> We're there for you, Mike. <laughs> <We're there. laughs> 
You so know, I, I think the big one we need to talk about in the modern era is Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars is a big one. So Star Wars, this goes back to, to episode one, is kind of where the fandom sort of really went toxic. But a lot of people don't remember this, but it goes back a little further. Yeah, Ewoks. Well, uh, it goes before Ewoks. Which right. is crazy, because I love Ewoks, and I I've know. got friends who despise that movie because mm. the Ewoks. So when the... Uh, Alright, spoiler alert, Darth Vader, Luke's dad. What? So... The Empire Strikes Back was actually not well received uh, by many people. It changed my life for the worse. Right? <laughs> I realized bad things can happen to good people. Everybody who's <laughs> upset about everyone who's upset about the Last Jedi, guess what? You were probably one of the people who was upset about about the Empire Strikes and Back. And then how long did we have to wait to the next it's movie? Like, yeah, it was like, like three ten, years. It felt like ten. Yeah, so we end up with Return of the Jedi, and then everybody's all upset because they don't like Ewoks. Right. Right. And then uh, we get episode one, The Phantom Menace. Oh, and let's mention the fact that they basically forgot the fact that they'd been mad about those other movies. Right? Yeah. Except the Ewoks. Suddenly they have to go see episode one, right? And what do we get? We get Jake Lloyd. Right. A little boy who was (laughs) pretty all right in Jingle All the Way. (laughs) You know what? He was fine in this movie. I don't think he was a problem at all. He he was doing what he was told to do. He was poorly directed. And I think most people now realize that but you know because they've driven him crazy it's easy to it's easy to look back and realize the problem was george lucas now that all of fandom has ostracized george lucas and made him sell it i and you know what and that bothers me because like it was his it was his i didn't when i was watching the prequels individually as science fiction movies that have nothing to do with star wars they're okay they're all right but i, I agree i didn't like them to fit in the star wars universe but to destroy George Lucas over it, that's yeah. it's too much. And you have, you know, you have Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd is... Anakin? He played Anakin, and, you know, now Jake Lloyd is 30 years old, and he lived a life of being bullied at school. Like, his... The, the, the other kids at school would walk up behind him and go... <laughs> and stuff. Uh, you that's know, it, back in 2015, he was arrested for reckless driving and resisting arrest and stuff. And now he's like the last we've heard, he was institutionalized for schizophrenia. Like these are not good outcomes. No, you uh, know? no way to go. Fandom. Right. right. We've got Ahmed Best who played Jar Jar Binks driven to, uh, you know, almost suicide. Right. Just recently, he got to be on a, a Star Wars uh, book release show and that's like the only star wars thing he's done in i don't know a decade or something right so then we've got you know kelly marie tran now today with uh with the last jedi you know and and i'm gonna say look i'm gonna be controversial for one second and just say i hate that character really i despise rose i think rose is one of the worst characters in star wars having said that None of that's Kelly Marie Tran's fault. No. I thought she was a fine actress who did a really good job playing that part. Yeah. I didn't like the part. Really? It didn't bother me. I don't know I, why people have such strong feelings about her. I, 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 well, it's, that's not this show. Okay. But, but, but the point is, though, Kelly Marie Tran was great. You didn't send her an angry letter bomb? No. Not at all. But she's been driven off Twitter. So has Daisy Ridley. Who's amazing. And, and, of course, Ryan Johnson taking a ton of, of heat for people just... There's a, a huge, huge petition to get Disney to remake the film. <laughs> you know what? I think that criticism of the films, of any film, of any art, is completely legitimate. But when you begin personally attacking the artist, 
for just making a movie. Right. And we're not talking about, he didn't make Birth of a Nation here. Right. He made The Last Jedi. Yeah. And of course now the, the big modern time thing is, is what's going on with White Wolf. And, and I know we talk well, about the big White game, Wolf, game, the big model. RPG thing. Yeah, and I know we talk about White Wolf a lot because that's the game that we play the most right now. Right. Is White Wolf games, uh, and V five certainly has parts of it that that I'm not happy with. Uh, but it's also got parts that seem pretty cool. I haven't had a chance to sit down and read the whole book yet. Right, but the responses have been vitriol. Yes, and the and it's one of those things where the toxic community comes on both sides because. There's people who defend it regardless of any issues, and there's people who will take any issue and use it to destroy it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the people who say, hey, this is great and this is why, I'm happy. And the people say, hey, this is bad and this is why. But when you start calling out the people on the other side as individuals and saying, I'm making a moral judgment about you because you like this product. Right. Or, or because dislike you dislike it. it. Right, that's a problem. I kind of, th- you know, it was interesting when all of this went down on the like White Wolf's Facebook page. You know, you pretty much had there were three responses going on there from fans. The first response was, "This product's promoting Nazis and is is sure. you know is it's awful. Bad. Everything right? bad in the world, this product yeah. is embracing." There was there was a group of people who were just like, "This is just a game, whatever, guys." Right, and then there was a group of people who were going. I can't believe the social justice warriors are ruining my vampire, right? <laughs> and and frankly, I think that if you, I, I think that the worst toxicity there comes from that last group. Yes. Oh, you're saying the, the people who think they're fans. ruining the game? Yes. Because here's the thing: is if you are such an awful person that you cannot comprehend have a, or have a little bit of empathy. Towards people who are legitimately offended, yes, absolutely. You've got some. There's some a social problem there with sure. you. Now, and, but I also think the people on both sides have had a lot of trouble being civil about these discussions. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This oh, is, we're, again, we're not trying to be political about any of this, but we are saying that hey, these are games, right? And right. saying I'm not going to buy this because it's got stuff that I find objectionable in it is okay. Oh, it's very okay. But exactly. also. So- so why does this happen in, in in gaming? You know, one of the problems with gaming that is that f- this sort of fandom destroys honest criticism. Yes. Right? So in this instance, for example, I'm let's say I am White Wolf, right? Yep. Who do I believe? Did I write a good game and I've got overreactionary American social justice warriors? Or did I write a game that's got some problems and there are some uh, some toxic fans who refuse to admit that, you know, Nazis are bad. Right? <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. well, I don't know what to do. What do I do? Well, you know, right? our, well, as I'm, humans, our default is to believe the people who are telling us that we're great. And I know that sounds awful, but it's true. If right. somebody tells you that something that you've made is good, you, you want to believe yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely you do. Like, that's, that's normal. And I think that this is crippled further by uh, the fact that game development is no longer the job of game designers. In the last 15 years, 10 years, game development has started being handed over to to freelancers. And as that shift has happened, more of these freelancers have have come from playing backgrounds as opposed to game developing backgrounds. 
right? right? And so they are much more in touch with the community, but, you know, players don't always make good game designers. What we want to see as players is not necessarily what makes a good game. So you're you're talking about it's the classic storyteller-player divide. Storytellers aren't always good players. Players aren't always good storytellers. That's not necessarily bad. And this shift kind of has, has sort of fostered a bit of destruction to, like, the the profession. Well, a big part of the problem is the fact that uh, very few people are making real money publishing games anymore. Right, right. So and they can't afford to hire somebody who works for the company 24-7. And it creates a gaming community without critics because nobody can say anything negative about any gaming product because it means that they'll never be able to work in the industry again. And they want to. And they want to. Because you're yeah. not writing about games right. usually unless you want to work for and, a company. And if you're not... If you're not ostracized for criticizing it, then in the very least, you've dearly hurt the feelings of your friend who is in the in the Because industry. everybody knows somebody now. That's right. And so now we can't have like the old school movie reviewers who could tell people that their movies were bad, but in a way that lets you know why it was bad. And all of this hurts our, hurts the industry as a whole because it means that these games can never be informed and get better. Yep. Well, I think the large enough games like uh, Dungeons & Dragons are not quite as bad for that problem. But I I do believe that... But Dungeons & Dragons doesn't have as incestuous of a fandom as a lot of these other games. Because it's so big. Because it's so big. Right. Right. Which is why we need to start playing more Dungeons & Dragons. (laughs) The causes of these things, I think, is is passion, right? I think fans are incredibly passionate. Uh, I think that as we grow to love something, we start to uh, have a sense of ownership that comes from our expectations. Right. You, you know, I see this a lot. I used to read a lot of web comics, and if somebody missed an update, people lost their minds. Right. And the guy would be like, "Hey, I'm, you know, I'm finishing these six hours before I publish them yeah. because I've got a real job and a real life, and this is my project that I do because I love it." And, you know, I'm not really making any money off of this. I just is something I like doing. You mm-hmm. can't tell me when I have to update. Right, yeah. right? Please right. leave me alone. By the way, there's a donate button. And if that was full right yeah, now, maybe. maybe I'd be a little more encouraged to right. give you some more art. And I also think, I also think though, that some of this is caused by the corporations or the, the IP owners uh, be, by not having enough community oversight. Well, I know that you talk a lot about, because you're in the PR profession, that you think that they should be doing more PR and, I don't want to say less marketing, but recognizing Absolutely. that there's a divide. There is a difference between communications and marketing. Sure. And and I don't think that, I think one of the things that happens in a lot of smaller companies or companies like gaming companies where there's just not a lot of overhead. There's like six real people right. who work there. And when seven, you, maybe. When you have to start cutting costs... You just combine. PR, marketing, and communications becomes one guy. Well, if he's a graphic designer, like, yeah, that helps you with marketing. Sure. But there's no community oversight. And also, if you're that guy who's in charge of it, you don't need to be doing the stuff. You need to be finding people to do the stuff. Right. Because that way you can direct them to the, the vision if you're doing it yourself, you don't have time to do the big, the top level figuring out what's best for the company. Right. You're too busy making the product itself. Like, think about think about Star Wars. There is no central location where fans go. Well, Whether I mean, that's online Oh, or, you mean there's no right? central, the, right. The, that fandom community does not have a neighborhood. Right. 
And so the community is not managed right. in any sense. All right, yeah. And that's why it's so out of control. Sure. And so I think that it is not just the fans' fault. So you think that gaming companies have an opportunity that Disney with Star Wars does not have because there's no way to put that in a bottle. Right. Star it's Wars too is, late. It's too late. It's, it's too, big. too late. But if you were D&D or, or uh, White Wolf, Wolf or, right. one of these big companies, Pazio, I'm probably saying that wrong, they can do that. Right. And to a certain extent, they do, but you think they should do more, more of that. I, I think that they should definitely consider putting a little more focus on it than like the old white wolf forums put there but i mean like but that were managed but the old white wolf forums were managed yeah this type of thing also we can scale it back down to like individual games too it's all about like your storyteller staff managing your community you know like it's just on a smaller it can be done like People act like you know oh no it's too much and all that it's like no if you can do it with a small group you just have to think bigger. Just scale it up. Right. Yes. And, scale it and up. These same lessons that we're talking about scale down to your local game too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you've got bad it, actors, deal with it. And some of it is even from a corporate standpoint, some of it is about crafting a smarter message. Yeah. Okay. The PR folks in the video game industry are sort of looked down upon by, by PR professionals because they handle crisis so poorly. Right. right. When terrible things happen, their response is always, oh, this was terrible, but this controversy has shown us once again how passionate our community is. And you're like, you're reading that off the same card you read last week. Right. McDonald's copied it with the <laughs> Rick and Marty thing. Yeah, the oh, sauce. sauce. <laughs> right. Which all is these, so ridiculous. All of these people like rioted in their, in their McDonald's restaurants because they ran out of the sauce. There was property damage. And McDonald's, instead of saying rioting and destroying our restaurant over fucking nugget sauce, which is, is not mediocre okay, at best, right? They didn't say that. What they said was, "This just shows that Rick and Marty are the best, have the best fans in the universe." No, you know, we're humbled by their passion, right? When at the end of the day, I remember when that was going on. They said, "Hey, there's not going to be a bunch of them." Right. So if you want one, you have to be there early and hope that your store has enough. That's right. And, and so they warned everybody. And you know what? White Wolf made the same mistake just you know two weeks ago or whatever. That was that they said. This has reminded us reminded us once again that we have some of the most passionate players in the gaming industry. Well, it's you know, the wrong message. You know what I said? Passionate is a code word for angry. Right. Yeah. It's the what you're doing is you're thanking them for being so passionate. Right. Thank you for d- handling this. Terribly. Thank you for not having manners. <laughs> Thanks for being douchebags to one another, guys. So you're no, saying it's the wrong message. Oversight is what fixes that. Over. I think there needs to be some level of oversight to help manage it. I don't right. think anything fixes anything. You know, it, <laughs> no, community management can... is important, though. So, so we've talked a little bit about you know there should be some better corporate initiatives. You know, um, I think the corporate initiatives start with don't make problematic decisions to begin with. Don't hire Zach S. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and something that I've said is that if they actually did research and they found that that he actually was innocent of all charges, there's a million writers and graphic designers out there that have not been accused of the kinds of thing he right. has. It doesn't matter if he's guilty or innocent. It matters from a, that from a he was purely, involved in it. From a purely business standpoint, why would you hire that guy? Mm-hmm. Right, because you know that he is a problem. So just don't. Hire somebody else who's equally right. talented and, and most that communi- somehow managed to avoid not being accused of harassment. And most communication professionals would have said, hey, guys, 
you're going to create a nightmare for us. Don't do that. You'll you not know? gain as much following from and, this and, as you And will honestly, lose. what they should have done was hired a woman or a person of color. I, and then suddenly, boom. You know, and if they, and now if you they, look like you're actually diverse. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, if you, and if you do make a problematic decision, then when it's over, own it. Yes. Yeah, say, hey, hey guys, we did mess up. Sorry. You don't, you don't come out and defend what you don't say. Hey, guys, we looked into it and he was innocent. You come out and you say, hey, guys. We probably shouldn't have hired him because of the controversy around him, and we are sorry. We won't do it again. Right? Mm-hmm. That's all you have to say. That's it. And also, guys, thanks for being so passionate about it. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, you know, don't excuse toxic fandom as passion. Uh, don't ignore your toxic fans. Don't let, you know, and don't let the real complaints get lost amidst the toxicity. You know, like if you have a bunch of social justice warriors in the the worst negative sense of that attacking you, don't ignore the fact that somewhere in the middle of that, there might actually be a real issue, though, that they're all upset about. Yeah, you need to look at it. Right. Um, And then don't use don't spin any of of the this toxicity into selling more of your product. Uh, Isn't that sort of unethical? It's just icky. It's just icky. It's not even sort so, of on a... It is. <laughs> All right, so moving away from the, the corporate initiatives, though, then what can we do? Let's end with this. What can we do? We are just fans, right? Well, what, I think the first thing do? a fan can do is don't be that guy. Don't be an asshole. Right. And Let people like things. And there is a time and a place yeah. to say that a thing is objectionable and it is actually bad. But be, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt. And don't tolerate your friends if they're being the asshole. And I would also like to say that a product can be bad and a person can like it for different reasons. And sometimes it's okay to say, well, you know what? He likes really dark games like that, but he's actually a really good dude. And as long as he doesn't, you know, behave like that in real life, we we accept that. It's the kind of the vampire thing. We all play monsters in vampire. As long as you're not really a monster, then maybe don't jump down their throat publicly. But on the, the converse is also true. If somebody's saying, man, this game upsets me because it's got these components, maybe don't jump down that guy's throat. Or, you know, force them to play it. You know, like, force them like, to play it. Or or blame them for as because the problem is them and not the product. Yeah. Right. No, Just let it go. Not. They don't like it. That's okay. Or they like it, and that's okay. It's not Mein Kampf. If it is, then yes, tell them they're bad. <laughs> <laughs> and they shouldn't. If somebody's telling you about how many great ideas they got from uh, Birth of a Nation, yes, <laughs> please, please call them out. But these products aren't that. Right. So there you go. There yeah. we go. I don't be a jerk. And when your friends are jerks, say, hey, man. Don't be a jerk. You're friends with that guy. Are you sure you want to say these things? And if you own a company whose fans are all being jerks, maybe take a minute to try and... and Tell your fans to not be jerks. Help them not be jerks. I'll tell you what. I did see a person day on Facebook was talking about the V5 release, and they they were very against it. And things started to get pretty toxic on the, the their page about that. And they're like... Then they deleted that when it made another post that said, look, in a couple of weeks... I will take an opportunity to sit down and read the whole book and have a, a, an informed review. But that was going badly, and there's that's not helping either side. So they deleted it. Good for them. Yeah. So let's just all try to be adults. What? I thought we played games on the weekends and pretended we were wizards. <sighs> all right, let's go to game. <laughs> I want to be a wizard. Uh, I got to take a wizard. Yeah, yeah. you got to take a wizard. <laughs>
Hey, let's do game wrap. Uh, before we get started to ending, <laughs> let's begin the end by reminding everybody that you can find us at onarollpodcast.com. That's not Honor Roll Podcast. That's we, a better name. We, we did should have went with that, Honor Roll. We did not do well in school. That's why <laughs> no. we host the podcast. No. <laughs> You know, two out of three of us are dropouts. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one is not using you to their know degree. <laughs> that the third one is uh, unemployed. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. A uh, what do you call it? a freelancer? <laughs> right. Yeah, we'll, we'll call me a freelancer. A that freelancer. sounds better. We can be found at honorrollpodcast.com. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and anywhere else that all the podcasts that you hate to listen to can be found. Yep. What about Twitter? We're on Twitter at honorrollpodcast. What about Facebook? I don't know. Are we on Facebook? We are. We're at facebook.com slash group slash podcast. And you can send us an email at hosts at honorrollpodcast.com. And, of course, Carrie wants you to go visit us on Patreon. Please, patreon.com slash honorrollpodcast. Where this week we'll post more content. Yeah, we are. <laughs> also, uh, shout out to anyone listening who's from Idaho. Anyone? <laughs> Anyone? 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 Listen, if you listen to this show and you know somebody in Idaho who will listen to this podcast, you will make me very happy. All right, so let's give XP. Oh. Uh, all right, Jason, you get uh, 5 XP for attendance. That's great. You get 12 XP for mentioning Mein Kampf and not having Carrie grimace when you said it. Well, it's because I'm really good at referencing things that are awful. Right? Mm. It's kind of my hobby. Carrie, you get 5 XP for attendance, uh, plus 5 bonus XP because I was convinced that you were not going to let us do this topic. <laughs> I've, I'm still not sure I'm going to let it get published. She's <laughs> got really strong opinions that would require passion. And editing. Yeah. And, and editing. And, and lots, lots of, of editing. editing, and I've been very quiet. Yeah. I can't wait till we do an episode where I can talk. Right? You also you also get five additional XP oh. for not grimacing when Jason said my thoughts. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and your willpower refreshes. Oh, there we go. Finally. There we go. All right. Well, uh, join us next week when our topic is the new class that's being featured for Dungeons & Dragons called the Millennial, uh, where every two levels you just switch classes. Until next time, remember that the only way to win in an RPG is to have fun. All of the thoughts and opinions that were on this podcast belong to just those folks who were on this podcast and to nobody else. All of the music was courtesy of Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Thank you.